Welcome to season two, episode six. Does humanity really need religion? With special guest Greg Riley. Welcome back, everybody, to Ambassadors of Joy. We are very excited to be here with a very special guest that we have on today. Greg, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderfully. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be with you and your friend. Thank you so much for being here, Greg. You know, Priya's been talking about this for a long time, especially during this season, earlier in the episodes. And we thought it would be perfect for you to come on here to chat with us a little bit. Did I mention that earlier in the season as well, Amy? You, we mentioned it when we were talking. We said we we should have Greg on one of our episodes. So yes, we are. yes, I've been thinking about it for a while. Remember one time, Greg, you actually, I think you texted me and you said that you would like to have me on as a guest in something that you were thinking of doing, and I had already thought about inviting you to the podcast at some point. So here we are manifesting one of those. Yeah, co-pollinating one another's podcasts seems to be the hip thing to do now. (laughs) Certainly. So before we get started, we typically set an intention to kind of do a quick meditation and set the mood for the rest of the podcast. Greg, did you have a meditation for us today? My meditation, meditation slash intention would be the accomplishment of clarity and a higher level of consciousness that gives us some answers that we're looking for. That should be the intention and and meditation every day for all of us. It's beautiful. It should. So let's do that. I'm going to do the chime. You guys will hear ding and then we'll just let that sit for a minute and we'll bring it back with another chime. Here we go. I'm already hypnotized by that intention. (laughs) Just out of curiosity, Greg, currently these days, what are you doing to maintain clarity? Obviously, we're all still in the pandemic and kind of going back and forth between, you know, things opening and things closing again. And life is not what it always has been. But how have you kind of been maintaining that clarity in your life? Well, Basically the same process that I've been using for many years now, which is just an overall willingness to seek and to quiet my own mind because clarity for me usually comes from stillness and the calming of the turbulence of my own confused mortal mind. So any practice and every practice that facilitates some calming and silencing of my own head because that's usually where the confusion or the blockage takes place. So it's always about a practice of quiet and meditation. And and of course, I do my yoga and I'm just doing my daily chores, but it, it all it all boils down to that practicing the presence, which I think uh, spirituality and religion If you had to boil it down to three words, it would be practicing the presence. So that seems to be ongoing and built into me at this point and trying to stick with that. 
Yeah, I think, Amy, we already have a first inspired action. <laughs> I did not expect to hit the ground running so quickly, but I was just picking up my pen <laughs> so then I can write it down. What is, what, is, what is it that came to you specifically, Priya, as Greg is talking about all of this? Practice the present. I love it. It is so easy to remember. Practice the present. Yeah. And you know, Amy, we actually talked about this in our mini series. I think when we were reviewing Aloha and kind of diving into that energy, we were talking about how both of us are actually pretty kind of impatient by nature. (laughs) We want things to happen really quickly. So we had both been practicing stillness at that time. I'm curious about how has that evolved for you, Amy? It has evolved really well. I feel like I'm still learning every day. It's not an overnight thing that happens. For me, I have to be aware of my energy at all times and the way that I respond versus react to everything. I mean, we talk about this all the time, I feel like on on the podcast, things that trigger us, things that gets us you know, reacting instead of responding. So I'm constantly working with that. And when I do that, it brings me back to the present. And I also notice the way that I interact with people, mm-hmm. whether I feel like I'm in a rush to do something or just being able to hold my ground and, and stay in the moment. So this is beautiful, Greg. I, I love this mantra that now I can carry with me into those moments of practices, which is, practice the present. I feel like having these mantras that is easy to remember really changes the way we sort of live in a, in a sense. So thank you. Yeah, I'm going to create some practice the present mantra cards that we can all carry around in our pockets and it'll accredit Greg Riley. <laughs> I think that's cool. That's cool. You guys have come up with a nice variation because what I said was practice the presence. And so I think both are perfectly, perfectly suitable. And I actually looked up both words to see what the, what their differential was. And they're both wonderful, wonderful examples. For some reason to me, presence seems to have an animation or a life to it that, but that's just a person, that's a preference of a presence and off we go, you know? Is that what the definition said when you looked it up, that there is a sense of animation to presence? The word presence has so many different definitions. So I think it becomes, you find the definition of your own liking and understanding, sort of. But the fact you guys picked up on practicing the present, I think, I think is really cool. I think it's a nice, you know, it's a nice extrapolation and a personal variation that you guys obviously heard and resonated with. So that's, to me, that that's sort of an organic expansion there. And I like it. I love it. (laughs) That's awesome. Cool. Well, let us introduce you, Greg. So again, I've been really excited to have you on. So I met Greg first, I'm thinking it was like a year and a half ago, maybe almost two years ago when I was looking for a yoga studio closer to where I had moved in San Ramon. And I happened to find the Yoga Fusion. And I remember one of the first times that I came to the studio, Greg, like we already had some sort of conversation 
that was very deep. And <laughs> and it was amazing. But it's just, it's been such an important aspect of my life, I'd say, coming to the studio. And for me, it's really like, more like a community and a family. Kind of like Cheers, you know, the show, Everybody Knows Your Name. It's like that, <laughs> that <laughs> homey feel. Yeah, a lot like Cheers without all the alcohol. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> without the alcohol. So I've I've gotten to know Greg a little bit, I'd say, over the last year and a half. And, you know, now I definitely join his daily meditation tribe as much as I can. And I've also had life coaching from Greg. There's very few people I think that I would kind of trust at that level. Greg, you happen to be one of the only ones. So it's been a joy. It's been a joy getting to know you. It's been a mutual joy. And, you know, the great spiritual principle, like attracts like. So it's, it's clearly we were designed to run into one another for the purpose of uplifting one another. And isn't that just the great joy of life? Those serendipitous friends who wander in to buoy one another to new states of consciousness. And so it's, uh, as the young ones say, it's, it's totes mute. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, Amy, you've also met Greg. I have. You know, I'm just so blessed and grateful that Priya, you always know which experiences to bring me to whenever I visit you. It's almost like you think about all the aspects of my visit there down to who I, who I am going to meet and the community, which is what you were talking about, that I will be invited into and how that will allow me to understand a different part of myself and transform even just a little bit within that experience. And I feel like, Greg, your yoga studio is one of those experiences for me. I have been to many different yoga studios. I feel like the other only similar experience that I have experienced was all the way in Amsterdam at a yoga studio there. And it was just this very peaceful way of connecting with our body and our spirit and our mind at the same time that brings the practice of yoga, you know, in full circle for me. And I feel like your yoga studio does that. And just like the experience that I had in Amsterdam and, and I just love that it's so humble, humbling to be in your space. It's not a you know, it's not a fancy space. It's a small but intimate and just loving space. But every detail that you thought out and the way that you teach brings all those together. And so I just want to thank you, Greg, for doing your life's work in this way. And for Priya, for knowing, for, for basically aligning to that and allowing me to experience that by your invitation as well. My pleasure. Yeah, it's a great joy to do that. And Yoga comes in lots of different flavors, as well it should. You know, there's you get a yoga of your own understanding, and there are there's as, there really is as many different yogas as there are individuals who seek. So it's wonderful. It's wonderful when it when it blends together like that. It's just it's the best of synchronicity, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And speaking of synchronicity, do you remember why you were here, Amy, when you visited Greg? <laughs> why was I there? I don't even. Remember. We were recording the first season of Ambassadors of Joy. Yes, that makes sense. Yes, yes, yes. And I have remembered that we wanted to go to one of the Eckhart Tolle talks with Greg. Is that right? I remember talking about that with Greg. 
that is highly likely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so let's start to dive into our topic for today, which is religion. And I know we're starting with a question today. Amy, did you want to chat about that a little bit and kind of introduce the topic? Yeah, I do. So it's fascinating. As I was just listening to you both speak about how, Greg, you created this sense of community in your yoga studio, it it just triggered this stream of consciousness within me specifically around this topic. So Priya and I had previously recorded a few episodes during the season to talk about birthing of a new consciousness. And the topic of religion came up on you know, on a side conversation as we were brainstorming about new episodes to come. Because with the new consciousness, there are different systems in our society and our cultures that's going to shift. And religion is one of the bigger topics or the bigger systems that is basically installed in, you know, all over the globe on this planet today. For thousands of years. And we just wanted to see if there is a chance for us to explore this topic a little further. And without giving too much away with what I, some of my thoughts that I already have on this is for, for some reason yesterday, as I was browsing on social media, I saw this, this message saying, Titnat Han, which is one of the one of our greatest spiritual teachers of our, our time, who's a Buddhist monk, Vietnamese Buddhist monk living in France, he said that the next Buddha is going to be the Sangha, which is going to be the community. Which is fascinating to me because as you guys were talking about the community in the yoga studio, that that same saying just came up to my awareness. I'm getting chills as you're talking, Amy. Please continue. <laughs> And, and I thought it was a great way for us to just dive right into this episode talking about that, this whole collective consciousness, this idea of a community and the, the, the link to religion, all of this. So, yeah. yeah. So I would, I would love to know, Greg, how, how, what has kind of led you to where you are today and to creating the beautiful Sangha? to use the Buddhist words and to use what Amy just brought up, that we have had the, the, the benefit of being a part of. Oh, let's see. My entire life story. Okay, here we go. In a nutshell, the compressed version. I think a great spiritual principle is when you know what you don't want, you know what you do want. So I think life is an amazing adventure of wandering through you know, an almost infinite number of experiences, sifting and sorting through what you don't like. And so you can clarify what you do like. And so I really did spend probably the first 40 years of my life really living a life very much of what I didn't want, you know, a life filled with chaos and dysfunction and addiction and familial, familial disturbance. And, you know, just, I got a, I got a good dose of humanity and struggle for the first 40 years of my life. And I spent those 40 years, I think probably about as far off the intended path that I could possibly have wandered down. And that just led to an excruciating amount of pressure and pain and and mostly emotional pain that, you know, you can only 
you can only experience so much of that before it ends up just blowing your circuits. And it does one of two things. It either kills you or it rockets you into a new dimension. So I'm just one of the people who was lucky enough to undergo a, a spiritual experience or spiritual awakening, not because I'm noble, but because I just did so many things inaccurately or wrong in my life that it led to sufficient pain to put me on a new path. And so around the age of 42, I just, you know, I had a moment of clarity and a, a lot of, a lot of the, I just had a large shift of moving away from very unhealthy and very destructive and very dark and painful life, ex life practices and experiences and trauma. And, you know, was just, I was shown a spiritual system that really put me on a path that went somewhere and allowed me to clean out a lot of what had been obstructing my conscious contact with a power greater than myself. And it was at that point when I had done enough genuine, authentic work on myself that an inspiration came out of the blue, literally like a rock in the head and said, hey, you should be a yoga teacher, which was really at age 43, that's really a crazy thought. And so, you know, because given the life that I had been living at every level, it was just the last thing that really made sense. But I just, you know, I dove into it because I had reached a point in my life where I, I might as well live in accord and be authentic to what was truly meaningful for me, or I might as well just die. You know, there's just not, there's not a lot of point just taking, taking up room on the planet if you're not living in accord with your inspiration and guidance and and so I just followed that little path along and, you know, I went through complete financial career destruction and had nothing, lost everything at age 43. So I, you know, I just took a humble little job and started teaching yoga and taught more and more to the point where by the time I turned 50 years old, I was teaching 25 yoga classes at seven different studios a week because I was just fully immersed. And, and then about 10 years ago, the opportunity came up to start a yoga studio. And at that time, I also realized through my own experience and what it is that I'd been through and, and really a lot of the pain and anguish that I'd been through and what I had learned that it was also, it was also a wonderful resource for coaching and, and working with people you know, at, at deep levels of their psyche and their emotion for the purpose of healing. And so it's all just sort of congealed and continued to grow into a physical yoga studio and teaching classes and life coaching and various forms of body work and you know just a spiritual seeking adventure and you know always always asking myself on any given day what is it that I can do to bring some healing and light and love to the world rather than what I'd been doing for the first 40 years of my life and it wasn't as though I was a bad person or I was maliciously evil it was just you know it's the human condition to to be dipped in darkness it seems to some degree and then to have to work ourselves up and out of the muck and that's a that's a decision in and of itself so that's that's a brief little nutshell so it's not because i'm noble or spiritual or wonderful or or unicorn it's because i've just you know i've made a lot of mistakes and i've i've gone through a lot of hardship and is it any more than anybody else no, I don't think it's appropriate to compare it. I just, it's my story and it's been effective for me to accelerate me along to where I am today. Yeah. And like you mentioned, Greg, the challenges and the pain that were part of your journey has really helped 
you kind of connect, I feel like, with everybody around you. Because I'm just thinking back to my own life coaching with you. And for example, you know, some of it involved uh, challenges that I was facing with familial relationships. And <laughs> I think it's, it's difficult for um, you have had to have experienced some type of challenges and pain on that level yourself in order to be able to meet me there and to connect with me and to be able to, you know, provide that guidance and that inspiration. So exactly what you said, like it all, all that suffering, all that suffering to be able to kind of leverage that and transform it into healing for others. That's really beautiful. Uh, it's, it's a tremendous gift. It's, it's pure grace is what it is as far as I see it. So it's the only, the only possible benefit. I mean, life includes suffering, obviously. There's no doubt about it. So if life has that built into the equation, then the only addition to the equation that's of any value is what does one do with the suffering and does one use it, alchemicalize it into gold or does one use it to fall further. And that's an interesting choice I think all humans have. Dive into that a little bit and and use that as fuel for our topic today about religion. I'm curious, Greg, because as I'm listening to you, I have this heart filled with love, nothing but love. And just hearing the words that you use, such as pure grace, turning it into gold, choosing not to fall or through the fall, you get back up. You know, those, those are the images that's coming to mind. How, how did you, what, what is that spiritual outreach that you have taken in that um, point in your life when you're 40 something and you, that, that gave you the opportunity to open up your heart and receive that rock that hit your head that told you that you have to open a yoga studio. Like we are on the topic of religion. So um, is it a religion or is it a multitude of those things? What is, what is the difference for instance, between spirituality and religion when you were exploring this idea of your awakening, if it came in at all? Yeah. Um, that's a large and ripe question. So let's see. The word religion comes from the Latin religio, which means to link back. It means to find connection. So I'm very much into the etymology of words and where they come from because I think it gives great insight. So the best of religion and the best of spirituality and the best of anything serves as a link, as a conscious link back to the remembrance of who we really are. And in my own personal estimation, all healing and all recovery and all thriving comes from a recognition not theoretical or conceptual, but experiential, a remembering of who we really are. And so for me, simply put, Sting said it best, we're, uh, we're spiritual beings in a material world. And we've all heard that line and perhaps it becomes trite at some point, but the implications of that are we're all infinite points of consciousness that are thrown into a material world. and. The material world, in and of itself, it blocks off that larger, uh, that larger experience of consciousness. Our brains, 
take an infinity of available experience and filter it down to such an extraordinarily small pinprick. And in many cases, even that very small little bit of consciousness is twisted or distorted in some way. So to some degree, the acknowledgement that whatever it is that I see is only the smallest, smallest fraction of what there is to see. And so religion, spirituality, whatever that is, is the process or the way back that opens up that filter so that more and more of actual reality can be seen. So I've been a spiritual person my entire life. I've been a seeker my entire life. When I was in my early 20s, even earlier than that, probably 18 or 19 years old, somebody put a book called Be Here Now by Baba Ramdas in my hands in 1976. And not a lot of my friends were reading books like that. It was a book by uh, those of you who are familiar with him, but uh, he, he was a famous Harvard professor who took a bunch of LSD and then went to India and changed his name and met his guru. And he wrote a seminal book, Be Here Now. And a lot of people read it. And I was one of the people who did. And I, I guess I read it when I was 19 years old, which is just, it spoke to unbelievably deep questions that I was having because because of the family and the circumstances that I was that I was raised in you know I was raised in a lot of a lot of chaos and a lot of dysfunction and a great deal of addiction and abuse and it was just it was my experience of living in a material world was one of tremendous fear and uncertainty and there there better be some answers to this or life is just a horrifyingly cruel cruel joke and so I saw it from early on, but uh, I'm never shy about saying this. But you know, I was gr- I was born into a family of of uh, generations and generations of addicts on and alcoholics on my mother and father's side. So it wasn't long before I realized the sense of ease and comfort and spiritual well-being that a bunch of drugs and alcohol would bring. And so I always my my life from the age of growing up to the age of 42, there was, a, there was an in- intense struggle going on within me between the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other and, and what was the world of the spiritual and then the world of spirits, you know, and it's curious how they correlate because in many cases, those who suffer from addiction or alcoholism, they're substituting spirits liquor, something, because they can't make that fundamental internal, you know, they have a God-sized hole in their heart. So although I'd been seeking my whole life and all that seeking had been genuine, there was a deep, deep genetic, physical malady inside of me that just, until I put the plug in the jug, so to speak, when I turned 43, there was no really gaining any deep, fundamental spiritual traction. And so that's what happened to me when I turned 43. So in one regard, I'm just a garden variety drunk who, who sobered up via the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which was a perfect spiritual system at that time for eliciting the, uh, the spiritual awakening necessary to abate the insanity that had just about extinguished my life. So that's, that's sort of what happened at age 43 that was... I don't think many people really undergo. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty rare thing when people undergo 
a very rapid, sudden movement in their consciousness. In other words, for most people, it's patient and incremental. It's like watching hair grow or paint, paint dry. But every now and then, certain humans are fortunate enough or they're going, or they're going through enough pain that a, a deep and profound tectonic shift is available in their consciousness that, that instead of going from A to B to C, you go like from A to N all at once. And you can't take any credit for that. All you can do is just be fortunate because you don't, you don't see it coming. But when it, when it happens, all there is to do is to look back in that and see, to see the underlying, the underlying grace and, and uh, orchestration below it. There are so many fascinating <laughs> aspects to what you, wow, to what you just covered. Um, I'm curious, Greg. Um, how do you you mentioned kind of this this idea of, you know, most points in our lives and the lives of humans, this kind of spiritual um, growth or advancement is incremental, and um, at other times it's this huge shift. What are your thoughts on where we are as a human species these days? Would you, um, do you think uh, we are in a phase where we are kind of incrementally growing? Or do you see evidence of um, a larger shift happening in the consciousness of humanity? Well, um, humanity is always growing. And I think humanity or the collective always moves very, very, very slowly. Snail, snail pace, gla glacial movement. I think, I think is the nature of of the movement of the collective, and that's it. Only makes sense. There's so many dynamics and so many variables going on that the collective does move slowly. So to, to answer your question. Yeah, there are there are points where even the collective is has the availability of undergoing one of those tectonic shifts. You know, it's like the San Andreas Fault in California. Every every day there are hundreds of earthquakes, one point twos, two point ones that you don't even feel. And then you know, nineteen oh six comes along and there's an eight on the Richter scale, and it and it radically you know it takes a lot of people out. You know, it damages a lot of people, but it, it changes the lay of the land and it releases an extraordinary amount of energy. And that energy, of course, could be channeled for elevating or depressing consciousness. But yeah, one could certainly see 2020 as one of those, you know, a, a great deal, obviously a great deal of energy has been released. There's been a tectonic movement that's, that's uplifted and exposed. You know, we've stepped on a landmine that obviously humanity has been has been living over the top of for a good long while now. And so having stepped on it and having all this energy release, now the fascinating thing is, you know, is it, is it really a spiritual awakening? It will be for the individuals who seize the opportunity and see it as such. And for those who don't, they'll, you know, the energy could be used in the opposite direction. Hmm. You use some other interesting terminology too, like um, like spiritual system, um, and uh, and obviously kind of thinking about this definition of uh, or the the root 
of religion, religio, which I didn't, I didn't know. Um, and that's, that's fascinating to link back. So it sounds like Greg, for you, um, spirituality and religion are very kind of, you know, very, very broad in definition and, um, and sort of interchangeable and one in the same. Does that, does that sound right? Or do you see a kind of a difference between the two? I know this is kind of how humanity and how we as a society kind of think of these two different terms and these two different things. Um, do you feel like they're actually the same? Well, I don't know about you guys, but um, one thing I, it, one thing I hear from people that seems to be pretty common nowadays, it's almost a meme you hear people say, um, I'm spiritual, not religious. It's fascinating when you hear a lot of people and a lot of my friends say that. So what the hell does that mean? You know, and so um, a funny thing that we say in recovery, the world of recovery is an important part of my spiritual nature. It's not the entirety of it by any means, but it's certainly it's certainly a bet, you know, part of the bedrock. And and uh, one of the things they say in there is that religion is for people who don't want to go to hell. And spirituality is for people who have been to hell and don't want to go back. So it's like that's that's an interesting it's an interesting way to look at it. And you know, um, religion just seems to be extraordinarily structured, generally a older and more traditional system of rules and understandings and practices. And spirituality seems to take the lid off and open up. A host of possibilities and ideas and 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 uh, differences that more cater to the pres to the preference and the disposition of the individual. Which one's better? Well, you know, I, I think there's a unwavering standard of truth that um, Mr. Jesus said when it came to judging whether something really works or not, and he said, "By the fruits you shall know," which is you know an extraordinary axiom you know, that can work for humanity forever. And it's simply a matter of, you know, does something produce real and genuine happiness and fulfillment and continuous evolution? And so, you know, whether it's spirituality or religion, you know, to me, one of the fascinating things that's probably happened to humanity over the last roughly 100 years that's really revolutionary is that, well, the the uh, the third step in the recovery movement is really a linchpin, and it says, you know, uh, turn, you know, we turned our will and our life over to the care of God, which is a very religious sounding statement. But then it goes on to say, a God of our own understanding, which is an extraordinary, extraordinary addendum because it gives each and every individual not only the right and the privilege, but actually the duty and the responsibility of finding the path and the system of their own understanding that links them back and gives them the sufficient conscious contact to overcome whatever insanity and also to, to um, increase their, well, their well-being and their conscious contact. And so in my own understanding, there really is it's absolutely a duty and an obligation and a necessity to find an understanding of your own understanding. In other words, borrow from a religion, try them out, see which one works, try this system of spirituality. But if you're a sincere seeker, 
sooner or later it will synthesize and clarify into a path that's entirely unique and indigenous to you personally. And that's the path that has to be followed back. So it goes from being a general thing to being a highly specific and and radically personal path back to our own source. And that's since we all came from source and diverted and diverged away, you know, we can only come back along the same pathway that we left. And that means finding, you know, religion, spirituality, whatever it might be that works for you, that actually produces the result. I love that, Greg. Yeah. And that changes over time too. Um, Cause I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking as you're talking, Greg, and it's, like we are also constantly in flux. So the system that works for us at age 20 is almost definitely not going to be what works for us at age 40 and then age 60. Indeed, exactly. By definition, the system, it's like when you're, if you're going to cross a large river and you have a, it sure is nice to have a canoe on your back that you carried on your trip and then you use that canoe to cross the river but having crossed that particular river it's like you're going to keep carrying that same canoe on your back it may not be the one that you need so the absolute necessity you know the the beauty that you can evolve and upgrade your own understanding of what god is your place in the universe what the universe is how it all works together is is absolutely fundamental to the process i mean i guess if you were to if there was a you know a fundamental caveat that you might give to religion and i'm I'm not into doing that because i certainly respect and honor all but a 50 year old person having a picture of god that a five-year-old might have and never having upgraded or updated that and and if we're not allowed to upgrade and update and and uh, clarify our conscious understanding of of what's going on then you're right we are living with a stale and stagnated system and it's not going to produce fruit anymore it'll go stale so constantly garden right our garden pretty much and yeah yeah well you got to you got to go to the well once a day in in other words yet yesterday's realization yesterday's presence as we had talked earlier uh, the the presence, the realization, it has to be visited continuously on a daily basis. Otherwise, you know, you, you can't live on yesterday's realization or understanding. It's yesterday's and it's gone. It's fleeting. So it's a very fresh, expanding, leading edge, you know, right here, right now, practice that keeps it lively. It's like the tide, the tide has to come in once a day. If you live near the ocean and, you know, there are those, uh, there are like little inland inlets and waterways. And if the tide doesn't come in and reach those little inlets, those inlets become stagnant and very salty and nothing lives there. But the little inlets where the tide comes in and reaches it's like that's where the birds live and that's where it's fresh and that's where the reeds are and you know it, it's an experience very much like that the tide the tide's got to come in once a day I love the word fresh like you don't hear that a lot with um in, in discussions involving religion I think or even spirituality I love like this you know this I this 
idea that or this experience of it being fresh, something daily. And I think that's a wonderful inspired action. Um, yeah, I would say um, the second inspired action is to uh, go to the well once a day, like you said, in the words of Greg Riley, um, and keep revisiting your connection with source um, daily and kind of evolving and upgrading your understanding um, that's fundamental to the process. And then the part two of that is to is, is by the fruit you shall know. So (laughs) a good way to determine if you are on the right path is to think about, is this something that is um, producing real happiness for me and fulfillment? So that's kind of that part two. It seems to be almost kind of a spiritual equation, doesn't it? It does. That's awesome. (laughs) So beautiful. Oh. And Amy, this this also reminds me of your um, uh, previous uh, talk about upgrading your software. Yes, I heard that um, in Greg's um, explanation or yeah, talk about all this, this idea of upgrading almost every single day. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice, you know, I love metaphors. You know, it's like metaphors and analogies and stories. It's, it all boils down to that. It, it's, you know, if the world needs anything, the world needs wonderful storytellers and storytellers can only tell an authentic, compelling story if they've lived, if they've lived something, you know, I mean, you can read from a fairy book and you can read it with great animation and yeah, it's as good as it is, but, but, uh, you know, great storytelling and the ability to use metaphor. And so, you know, a great metaphor is, is to, you know, we're so much like, we're so much like computers. Actually, we're not so much like computers. Computers are so much like us. And so we obviously have been installed and been running software our entire life of mental patterns that you know are either healthy and functional and loving and frisky and happy and joy, blah, blah, blah. Or we're running, you know, mental programs that are that are uh, that are fearful and sad and and restrictive and and by I'm a firm believer that by practicing the presence or getting the mind quiet that we can do a daily reset and you could almost visualize you know now that you know if you have a 1983 computer that could not connect to the internet and it still has that software on it you could still turn it on and it'll still run but it, it's so ancient and it's so stale and it's so you know absolutely uh, dysfunctional compared to what you need a modern computer to do. And yet, you know, how many people are walking around running 1983, you know, software in their own head in terms of their relationships, their abundance, their health, their spirituality. And and so, you know, to quiet the mind and let the mind, you know, get the daily, the daily upgrade of the programs is it's absolutely available for those who are interested in doing it. It does require a sacrifice, and it means the willingness to try or to learn how to quiet your own mind for a few minutes. And it's an interesting thing: who's willing to do that and who isn't. That's really beautiful, Greg. I I love this um, whole conversation about it, and bringing it back to sort of our discussion about the topic of religion. I really do see um, the 
the the good intention of why these systems were installed um, thousands of years ago and using the terms sort of you know software programming right like they're all here to to help us sort of collect our thoughts and organize our thoughts in a way that will help us go on this healing journey of remembrance which is what you talked about earlier um, but as we evolve and as we continue to expand as a collective or even as individuals on this, you know, on this beautiful journey on this planet um, with this human experience, you know, as you say, we really do have the duty to be a sincere seeker and, and the sincere seeker are some, is someone who is, who is constantly upgrading the soft and constantly asking questions. Correct. Yes. That's exactly right, which which then will allow these systems and programs to then also make upgrades themselves. And so then we don't feel like we're so bounded, right, by or imprisoned by some of these things that now when people are talking about spirituality, they they say, oh, religion, you know, just traps you or imprisons you. But really, we can upgrade. The, the definition of it, the meaning of it by practicing it in a new way, in a fresh way. Yeah. 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 Well, there's that word fresh and there's that upgrade and, and, you know, it does, it, all that denotes, all that connotes, uh, keeping something alive, you know, keeping it, having it be a living thing rather than turning it into a structure or a symbol. You know, it's the difference between, eating the menu or eating the food. And the problem is just if you get so habituated in eating the menu, you know, well, it's not very satisfying, but it sure is familiar and you know where to get it. And it's consistent and it might give you indigestion, but if you haven't tasted actual food for a while, it's all you know. So I think I think to some degree, our consciousnesses, our individuations, our self-correcting mechanisms and if you undergo enough uh, disconnection from from who we really are, then you know the appropriate and proportional amount of pain presents itself in a most loving fashion in order to provide the necessary corrective. I guess you know. I have a couple of things that I was that I was thinking about as you were talking. Um, one is uh, that you mentioned. Um, storytelling and uh to tell good stories um it needs to be authentic and i'm kind of you know thinking about religion and all of these kind of as you could say quote unquote you know founders of of the the religious leaders the founders of the the major religions were not religious um as uh, you know, as we define the term in today's society, uh, they were rebels and they were amazing storytellers. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that's why people listened. <laughs> you know. Yeah, the Buddha, Confucius, Jesus—that was their. They they translated their authentic experiences into stories that inspired the spark in other people. Indeed, they were um, 
clearly they were speaking from radical and revolutionary and very unconventional states of consciousness. And because they spoke from that level, literally every word and every vibration that came out of their mouth was extraordinarily uh, compelling and fascinating and radical to whoever was listening at the time. And, and, you know, and interact, you know, a way that I've always thought about religion is, okay, somebody comes along and they obviously, for whatever reason, they present or have developed a state of consciousness that is profound and beyond, beyond explanation. And so they cruise around and they start telling stories and they tell principles and practices and they gather a few followers. So here comes Jesus and, and obviously a state of consciousness and the ability to demonstrate it. And so, you know, he gathers 10, he gathers 12 interested listeners and he does his best to explain it to him. And, you know, these are the ideas, these are the practices, this is what's going to happen. Be on the lookout for this. And they still didn't get it. You know, even up to the point of his death, it was like, really, you really have to die. And it's like, they completely, you know, on the moment of Jesus' death, they all ran for the hills because they thought that they were next. And so it really wasn't until they underwent a sufficient spiritual awakening themselves that they were able to, you know, move around the Mediterranean and share a story that ended up, you know, radically changing civilizations. But, you know, a story told too many times, you know, the game, that game Whisper Down the Lane, where you get 30 people sitting in a circle and you start with one simple story and you whisper it in one person's ear. And by the time it comes back around full circle, it's an entirely different story. And so the thing, you know, the thing about religion is it started with the highest level of consciousness at one individual who did his very best to explain and, and uh, deliver it to a close group of people. And then, then, it gets put into a story, and then it gets put into a scripture, and then it gets put into a dogma, and then it gets it gets put into a system, and then you know, by the end, by at the end of that, you know, give it five thousand or give it five hundred or a thousand or two thousand years, there may be nothing at the end that's that the tide's not coming in anymore. It doesn't mean that it can't by any means, but it you know, the question is, is the religious practice delivering the realization and the upgrade and the understanding that the original person had. And that's, you know, that really is the question. And so if somebody is engaging in religion nowadays and they're they're it's sufficient for them so that they're having a Jesus or a Buddha experience or a Krishna experience, then more power to religion than by, by all means. But like you said earlier, it's experiential. And um, and the origi- the um, originators of these religions, their awakening came from their own experience, not by setting a predefined uh, following a predefined set of rules that somebody else established. Right. Well, that's you know that's why, from my own perspective, the world of recovery is such an extraordinarily powerful spiritual system because if you're an alcoholic and you're at you're at end stage fatal alcoholism, then it's, you can't give lip service to spirituality anymore. And it's really quite evident whether you've engaged it in a sufficient fashion, because 
one of two things happen. You recover or you die. So there's something about, you know, recovery sort of popped into the world about 80 years ago. And it's a spirit. Yeah, it's, it's 12 steps. It's ancient spiritual principles, but, you know, wrapped into almost sort of a modern Western do this, 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 and this. And if you do it, you'll get this, which I think is a beautiful marriage of science and spirituality. But, you know, in the world of recovery, it's like in religion, you can give religion lip service. You can go to church, you can wear the right thing, you can say the right stuff, and you can leave church and without not one iota of difference has really happened in your character or your consciousness. But if you go into the world of recovery and you don't honestly and sincerely and rigorously immerse yourself in what spiritual principles and practices really are at depth, you die. You're dead. You're done. And that's an incredible motivator. And so that's one of the reasons why spiritual awakenings are so, they're garden variety in the world of recovery. They just, they just, people just pop all the time. It's just like, oh, um, it's like spiritual awakening, spiritual awakening for people who are not, I mean, <laughs> people who are, who are, uh, and been engaging in some really, really less than savory lifestyles, you know, and it, it just, it's, to me, that's what's so wonderful about the world of recovery. It's, it's not lip service. It's you either, you either visit the elevated experience of those who are showing you the system or you're dead. And that's, that really makes it compelling. You have no choice. Well, you do have a choice. You absolutely have a choice. The choice is do it or not and undergo it or not. And, and yeah, the, the, cho the choice is necessary. I get what you're saying. You don't, if you want to live and if you actually want to live to your destiny, you're right. You don't have a choice. That's really interesting. I have not, I have not thought about that before. You know, you're having a standard material, semi-spiritual life and things are going along and, you know, it's pretty good and it's bad sometimes. And, you know, you, you have some ups and some downs and, you know, it's, it's not so, you're not at such a radically defined fork in the road existentially. It's like, you can kind of dip your little finger into religion or you can dip your toe into a little spirituality and you can get, you know, but it's, it's not until you put your whole body into it that you can really expect to have a radical shift. Mm -hmm. That's uh that's, Beautiful, Greg. I I really resonate with that. I know I had I probably haven't gone through the the um immeasurable immeasurable amount of pain that you have went through, but I know that I found God um and in my recovery as well, um, on my physical body. Yeah. Absolutely. And in what I've said so far, I would never mean to convey that my degree of pain or suffering is in is in any way of a larger or more compelling than than anyone else's i'm you know just i'm just along for the ride and everyone else's spiritual experiences this is not a comparison game it's it's we're comparing ourselves to ourselves and our own story you know one of the best phrases i've ever heard is you know compare yourself to who you were yesterday and not to who other people are today and you know that really is the benchmark so when you say that you found God and you found recovery with respect to where you found it. I absolutely salute and resonate with that because I can, I can hear it in your voice. It's absolutely true for you. 
Thank you. That's so beautiful. And I feel like I, I've written down a third inspired action <laughs> from all of this and we can kind of fine tune it, but just putting some of the puzzle pieces together as you were speaking, Greg, is to tell radical stories of recovery, to empower others to, you know, sort of have realizations or have some sort of awakening and transformations of their own. I think that's a, I think that's a wonderful recipe. And, you know, there's an, <laughs> there's an old saying, you know, you can't have a testimony without a test. And so stories, stories delivered by people who haven't been through it, um, no matter how cosmetically or superficially well they're told, they they simply won't have the magnetic the necessary magnetic effect. And so, but for those individuals who know authentically beyond any shadow of a doubt that they've that they have a story to tell, that they've had experiences and that they've undergone things that have been uh, out of the ordinary, that have been exceptional, that have been extraordinary, and and the honesty and the courage to tell those stories, you know, in the face of a world that, you know, doesn't always necessarily salute such stories. And also to be able to tell stories in such a way that they're accessible and amenable and, and so that people can actually hear it because it's not proselytizing and it's not trying to shove something down somebody's throat. There's, to me, there's really an art and a skill of telling your story and your testimony in a in a way that that it's that people really groove on it. It's like, boy, I, I really like listening to this. It's like, whoa, it gives me, you know, it gives me chills. I really like this. I know when I'm listening to an artist or a speaker or you know, any sort of human who's communicating and and it's coming from the truth of their being, that it it's just like, oh my God, it's like their tuning fork, it's is touching mine the fire in them is kindling mine and so there there is an art and there is a skill and it's definitely a practice but anybody who's interested can be a storyteller it's just the recognition of being a, of going through the experience is necessary to be able to tell that story and everybody everybody has a story everybody has an experience everybody has a truth and everybody's been through trauma and tragedy and and difficulty no one's immune. And for the people who've really gone through it and paid attention and used it as an opportunity, then, you know, find the channel, find whatever the outlet, open up the spigot, get the valve open in some way. And in this world, with all of our different media, there's a way to get these stories out. And that may very well become the new religion and and the new stories because they will emerge. They, by nature, they well, they will and they have to. That brings a full circle to what Amy said in the beginning about the new Buddha will be the Sangha. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's available. And so through the trot, you know, through what we're going through collectively right now, it's like the these the extraordinary fire that humans are going through will be translated into amazing stories. And then those stories will be told and and uh those stories will be listened to by the wise and they'll be ignored by the ignorant. And, you know, somewhere in the scriptures, it says, for those who have ears, let them hear, you know? Wow. 
<laughs> that was so inspiring, Greg. I feel like I'm inspired and empowered to take on the day after 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 being here with you. <laughs> awesome. Well, you know, anytime anytime two or more are gathered, and man, anytime three or more are gathered, it's like whoa, whoa. All the places we'll go today, it's like we're the best of Dr. Zeus, you know? <laughs> we are so fortunate to um, have this platform to be able to uh, share these stories. And uh, I don't know, this session was just so, so amazing. Um, what a great experience. Well, I just, you know, I just really, you guys are from a different generation than I am, obviously. And that's a wonderful thing. And it's so, you know, when I was your age, I was so deeply mired and so in such a deep, deep downward spiral. And, you know, ultimately the best thing, the worst thing does become the best thing ever. And, but to listen to what, what you guys are up to and what you're doing and the wisdom that, you know, I can clearly hear in your ability to explain and to compel and to give your own stories. It's like, it just, it encourages me tremendously because, because it, it shows, you know, you, you guys are the hope. You guys are what is going to make the difference and, you know, move the world through what it is that's going through into, uh, you know, it's our responsibility to bring heaven on earth, isn't it? And so I'm really, truly inspired and compelled by what you guys are up to. And, and uh, you know, we are moving collectively, but, you know, Sting has a line that has moved me my entire life. He says, men go crazy in congregation. They only get better one by one. And so what you guys are doing individually in your own lives, one by one is what will move, move the totality of things. Wow. Um, speaking of the downward spiral that you mentioned, um, you obviously transform that into an upward spiral, which has inspired the name of your businesses that you opened. I, I, I know that you refer to upward spiral yoga. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more, Greg, about um, your practice, your the yoga fusion, uh, your life coaching, and anything else you might want to uh, spread the word about? Um, sure. Thanks. Um, yeah, the, the symbol the archetype upward spiral has always been compelling for me, even when I was on a downward spiral. Spiral, in, in other words, I always recognized that you know that which goes down inevitably rebounds and goes up. So, upward spiral and upward spiral yoga is the name of my overall enterprise of coaching and yoga and all that sort of thing. The name of my my website is theyogafusion.com. And on that website is, uh, you know, the physical yoga studio obviously is closed, but there's a lot of Zoom classes that I teach where I teach a system of movement and psychology and emotionality and spirituality in my, in my Hatha yoga classes on Zoom. So that's available. And, and, uh, and also, you know, the great joy of my life at this phase of my life is you know, I love doing cartwheels and handsprings and backflips, but there does, you know, coaching and working with individuals one-on-one. -on -one, to me, the miracle and the magic of deep, deep conversation is what's truly transformative and miraculous. And it's my great passion. I've been doing it for almost 20 years now, and I've talked to 
literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And I, it never fails when somebody is sincere in their conversation that great things occur. And so uh, on my website, theyogafusion.com is a link for my coaching and how to contact me and and uh, a free coaching session to try it out is always available to see if we're a match and to see if great things can occur. So theyogafusion.com has a lot more information about all of that and it's uh it's right there for the right there for the viewing and I'd love to hear from anybody who's interested. Thank you so much Greg. Um highly highly recommend all of that. I have had the beautiful chance in in partaking in all of these aspects of um of Greg's life and uh Greg, you're just so amazing. Um, highly, highly recommend. Uh, your yoga classes definitely keep me, you know, keep me going throughout all of this. And um, I know, you know, everybody has been expressing so much gratitude for all of the work and the effort that you put in immediately uh, when even Shelter in Place started to get all of that yoga onto Zoom, on online, make that accessible and amenable, like you mentioned about storytelling uh, and even offering a plethora of free classes. Um, that I, I don't know a lot of people who have done what you have done. So thank you so much. Um, my pleasure. Um, you, uh, just a reflection of you, dear. You're an amazing, you're a very bright, you're a very bright light in the world and a bright flame. And you too, Amy, and the two of you together, it's like, Man, put your two flames together and it's, it's, uh, look out world. It's a great thing. And by the way, we do do a evening meditation at 8 PM. That's for fun and for free. We have a wonderful, uh, zoom tribe and that's also on the website, the yogafusion.com. And so if you're an experience, the only people that are invited are those who are brand new to all the way to those who have an experienced meditation practice. So I think that means everybody join our meditation at 8 p.m. We have a good meditation. We have a nice little spiritual chat and visit at the end. So um, thanks, ladies. You guys are up to great things and uh, you guys give me great hope. Thank you. Uh, Amy, would you like to sum up our three inspired actions? Yes, I would love to. So we learned from Greg today um, these beautiful inspired actions I have here. The first one, which is to practice the present or the presence. Um, however you, that, that resonates with you, take that. Um, and the second one is to go to the well at least once a day and basically upgrade your software. And you would know by the, and, and to follow up with that is you will know by the fruits that you, that, that comes up for you. So to, to be exact by the fruits, you shall know. And the third one I have written down here is to tell radical stories of recovery, to motivate or empower awakenings in others, but do so with grace, with truth, and with prose, and leverage all of the outlets that in today's world you have access to, to do that work. Amazing. Wow, what a fabulous summary. You're really smart. I can hardly, wow, that's great. And at this point, we do the chimes just to let those uh, in inspired actions sink in for a few um, moments.
Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning into season two, episode six of Ambassadors of Joy. We had such a wonderful time with a very special guest, Greg. Greg, thank you so much. Um, let's keep spreading the joy and sharing these radical stories of recovery. Uh, if you're new, we invite you to subscribe and share this podcast with your loved ones. And as always, you can visit us on Instagram at Ambassadors of Joy uh, or our website, Ambassadors of joy.love and we'll see you next time. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks.